This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Hey, guys. Hey. How's it going? I just look forward to this because we get to hang out. Well, yeah, I know. Um, Yeah, so this is just a hang session. Actually, let's just scrap this episode. What do you guys want to talk about? Uh, well, just, uh, yeah, we just talk about, um, anything cool happening with the pugs right now, Jen, the pugs, we, we haven't had a, a pug date up in, in a while. Yeah. So. The pugs, um, the pugs are on my naughty list because I am a gardener and it is spring and the pugs have been tussling. We call it puppy tussle time. They have been t- <laughs> tussling on my flowers. So not a big fan of that. So that's how things are Wait, going. Man. What what does that what, is, what does that mean that the pub the pugs are tussling on your flowers? So they like to wrestle with one another. And right, well, um, I respect that. And they we also have a third dog that is that is a large dog that is currently living with us and so that just sort of amps up puppy tussle time. Like it's a, it's like an Airbnb situation yeah. and he's leasing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not taking on extra dogs just for fun. No, um, <clears throat> Micaiah, uh, one of our children, has okay. is, is currently living with us. And so her dog, which is a uh, Labradoodle, so kind of up JT's alley with the dogs. Um, mm-hmm. And the Labradoodle and the smallest of the pugs, the smallest of the pugs has a lot of, thinks that it is a big dog. And so they um, wrestled on top of my iris, which I've waited a whole year to, to watch bloom. And so I was angry. I felt anger. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't have pugs tussling, but I have a rabbit that I'm trying to trap because he is destroying my lawn. Like, like how has is anybody he, ever dealt with rabbits before? What's he like? like rocket just, la- like rocket launchers? Or something? No, it's, like, no. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that. He just he's just going to the bathroom in my lawn. Like he's just he's just using my. He's living. That's did that's he? Right, everybody poops. He's just living. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not mad at him for that. I just want him to do it somewhere else. <laughs> and. <laughs> And in and my lawn is like just this like never ending sea of rabbit mm. living. We'll just call it. We'll just yeah. say that. Well, and it's spring, so there'll probably be some more rabbits. Oh, pretty they're, soon. they're coming. Yeah. And so I've got a trap. I, I have a BB gun. <gasps> I don't know if I'm- <laughs> what? No, are you? Are you? I know. I know. This episode's probably going to drop right around Easter, too. So kids everywhere yeah. can picture JT out poaching the Easter I'm just, bunny. I, I just want to clip his leg. Like, I don't want to kill wow. him. Oh, then, like, like, <laughs> no. Okay. I, I, we got to kill banter on this oh show because gosh. we are the further we go, the, the, the less we have to, to discover about one another, the better, I think, as we <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. the later seasons of this. I did not know that I'd be thinking about JT poaching rabbits but <laughs> Kyle you got Elmer Fudd you, Elmer Fudd over yeah. here I would never do it to a pug I'll just be clear oh my gosh Kyle you don't have any pets do you no no my daughter had a betta fish and um, he has now gone to the great aquarium to be, to be with the lord <laughs> yes, something like that <laughs> something like that but he had a real attitude so I don't know that he would be with the lord um but uh yeah well that we're today uh we're talking about Romans 14 1 through 12 uh, and uh, this is a great passage. Uh, we're kind of concluding a very long two-season arc in Romans. And the last couple of chapters here, there are some treasures here that maybe go overlooked for some of the more dynamic chapters in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And so I'll read, I'm not going to read all of Romans 14, but I'll, I will read a portion of Romans 14 
for us, and then we will dive in and we'll talk about it together. Um, I'm going to read 14, 1 through 4. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So here we are, and in some ways, we're kind of returning to some early conversation that Paul has had with the church in Rome. He's kind of coming full circle here, but let's begin here. Who is the one who's weak in faith? Is that a new believer? Is that what Paul's talking about here? Is it somebody who hasn't gone through the training program or the forge program or the institute? Um, who is, who is, when Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, what is he even talking about here? What does it mean to be weak in faith in terms of what Paul's talking about? Well, first of all, we need to frame it up within the context of what we just got out of, right? Which is a whole discussion about what it means to be in submission to those who are in authority over you. And then he moves from that to how do we submit to one another? How do we basically outdo one another in showing honor? So when he picks up with this theme about weaker brothers or those who are weak in the faith, um, he's discussing it within the context of one another's. Like, how do we live at peace with one another? Uh, how do we ha- display the unity that is going to mark the Christian community as, as set apart from, from others? And so, um, yeah, I think what's funny is when we read this passage, we go, well, the weaker brother is whoever is not me that I disagree with, right? Like, I'm always <laughs> the stronger brother in the narrative. That's how I see myself. Um, but he's actually addressing in particular a group of people who have a vast divide uh, in the way that they live their daily lives. Um, and so, you know, it's not just a question of circumcision. It's a question of how you eat and how you observe holy days and how you um, transact business. I mean, there are a thousand points of difference among this small community of believers made up of Jewish and Gentile converts, um, and their work is cut out for them. So there is this weak in faith person is someone who is- A vegetarian. Um, evidently, right? Um, I mean, I, this phrase right here sounds like something Ron Swanson would say, <laughs> the weak person eats only vegetables. <laughs> I mean, it was like, I, I read it and I'm like, okay, uh, Paul Swanson. Um, but so what's going on here? Why does, why does Paul say the weak person eats only vegetable? What, what, what is he, what, what cultural background is he referencing here that maybe for us we're going, we don't, we don't think of that when we think of this passage. Yeah. In all likelihood, he's referring to, you know, it's, it's easy to say a Jewish person who's abstaining from meat sacrificed to idols, but it's entirely possible that there's also proselytes or Gentile converts to Judaism who aren't ethnic Jews mm-hmm. who would be participating in this as well. And these are people who are maintaining cultural traditions uh, that were prior to them believing in Christ, and now they're appropriating those things to their Christianity. And what's interesting is Paul doesn't tell them to stop doing it. He doesn't say, now you must stop. He, he kind of allows them to continue to participate in this, in this cultural expression of their faith in Christ. 
but he's also now telling these Gentile believers who are happy to eat meat and happy to to kind of, in, in his terms, be the stronger brother or walk in faith uh, or walk in this other kind of faith. And he's not he's not telling either of them, stop doing what you're doing. He's saying, welcome one another. Mm-hmm. These are second or third or fourth tier issues, which is, I think, another. So here we've walked now through 13 chapters of Romans. And Paul's now, a lot of commentators would say, is getting to his climax. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that Romans 6 was unimportant or that Romans 8 was unimportant, but he's getting to his climax to help these Christians live together as the family of God, as brothers and sisters who have different traditions, who have different priorities. And he's saying, welcome the stronger brother, welcome the weaker brother, which means the gospel is ultimately an invitation to hospitality to those who are one in Christ, but who might have distinctions about second or third tier issues. Well, and nobody makes a dietary choice like eating all vegetables lightly. Like, you know, if you've ever met anyone with with dietary conviction. So I'm not talking about like dietary requirements related to like, maybe you have a, a, a food intolerance or you have an allergy. I'm talking about someone who said, no, I actually think this is the way that I should eat. And I, I honestly think it's the way everyone should eat, but I'm not mandating it for everyone, right? You don't make a decision like that lightly. Yeah. And so I think, you know, where, where Christian community, I think what Paul's getting at is where Christian community can break down is that we, we confuse the strength of our feelings for a secondary issue as, um, as like conviction from the Lord, um, that therefore we should impose on others. And uh, th- by definition, a secondary or a tertiary issue um, is something that is a matter of conscience. But one of the most interesting things that I've heard argued about the weaker brother is that the weaker brother is often the one with the strongest convictions. Um, so, Ooh, right. which I think is fascinating, right? Like that the, right. the more the the more strongly held your third level conviction is, the more likely it is that you're in the role of the weaker brother and that someone who doesn't feel as strongly about it is the one who is called to bear with you in in what is a weakness. I was convicted by that. That's really good, Jen. I think that's exactly right. It is good. And we know that this isn't the only time that Paul has to use this kind of language or that he even has to reference this backdrop. This is going to come up in a pronounced way in 1 Corinthians, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, where this, the idea of dietary laws and worship and particularly the relationship between Gentiles and Jews, or even just some Jewish Christians and other Jewish Christians is going to be factored into the way that Paul is pushing towards unity in the church. In verse seven, which we didn't read, but I'll read for us. Paul begins to kind of move us even further down this line of thinking. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Now, what Paul is saying here, so he's moved from talking about just eating, now he's talking about days. Mm-hmm. And the reference here is for holy days. Mm-hmm. There are holy days that existed. There were also civic days in Rome that some Christians may or may not have felt free in participating in. Mm-hmm. So, there, so the days that are referenced here are probably twofold. He's probably looking at the Jewish audience saying, hey, some of your days from your culture and your history and your story, your Gentile brothers and sisters may not have the same connection to those. Hey, Jewish Christians, some of your Gentile brothers and sisters may have connections to other days in the course of the year, and you may not have the same connection to those. And it's okay. It's okay um, for you to do that as long as you're moving towards peaceability with one another. And why? Because none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. And that verse, I think, strikes me because uh, 
it is Paul rebuking this kind of overly torqued, overly focused view on the individual mm-hmm. as me as a radically autonomous person who gets to just do whatever I want to do because, oh, it's just my thing. And as long as it doesn't affect you, it's just my thing. And no, Paul is saying, no, you're a part of a whole. Mm-hmm. You should live with that knowledge mm-hmm. that you're going to be different. Those differences don't need to be held against one another, but you should take them into consideration as a part of the whole. Well, and that there's no such thing as a thing that's just your thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole the whole idea of Christian community is there's no such thing as a personal practice that doesn't impact someone else. And so he's, he's asking them to take that into consideration. And I love how what he's essentially saying is, Two people can operate from the same right motive and it look like two different practices. Like your motive can be pure before the Lord and have two different, and again, we're talking, we're not talking about primary issues. We're talking about secondary or third level, you know, or even lower than that issues. Two people can operate from the same holy motive and express it in two different ways in practice. And I think that's so important for us to remember because, This is one of those passages in Scripture that unbelievers will quote at believers and say, who are you to pass judgment when believers are articulating something that needs to be understood about a first-level issue? Um, But it is true that we are not to judge one another according to our convictions that are secondary and tertiary. We should should begin from a place of... um, grace, not a place of judgment when it comes to how someone else is living out their faith um, according to preferences or to convictions. And I think we can't, I think we can't understate how significant this was for this particular church to hear this because you've got Jews who are going to, so the Sabbath principle is going to be something that applies to all believers, Jew Jew or Gentile converts, right? Mm -hmm. But the way that a Jew thinks about Sabbath practice versus the way that a Gentile is going to, is going to be very different. Um, Because the Jews have all of these, you know, how many steps you can take, what work you can and can't do, you know, how the day, how a particular day is to be spent. And, And their Gentile brothers and sisters have have had no prior experience of those laws, and and those laws in in, in most cases were ceremonial laws. They they were not mm-hmm. you know not something that necessarily had to be carried forward into a new covenant community. So you can imagine you know when your Jewish believing friend sees you the Gentile out mm-hmm. you know taking more steps than you're supposed to on the Sabbath how it could be a cause for for major fractures to occur within the community of faith. That's right. Yeah. And you look at verse 10, which you've you're this is what you're talking about, Jen. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, you know, we've heard it, you know, quoted to us. Who 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 are you to pass judgment? Right. Or who are you to say that what's right or wrong in my life? And and that's that's an important point. Why why I think it's important for all of us to maybe internally ask the question, who have we judged? And especially again to just reiterate, we're talking about second or third or fourth tier issues. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about right. the primary things of the faith. And how easy is, is it for us to to pass judgment? Like I, I even sometimes when I read this passage, it seems so kind of elementary. But like I'll think about uh, whenever I'm speeding, I have a reason for it, uh, and it's justified. And I'm like trying to get to a meeting fast, or I was held up at home, or whatever. But then when somebody like you know, when you you guys have these places in your neighborhood where you know that two lanes go into one. Mm-hmm. And like you, and the person just flies by you, oh, yeah. and they know you know that they know, mm-hmm. and you're like, wait a second, 
who the heck is this unbelievable, you know, unbelievable Philistine, mm-hmm. uncircumcised? Yeah. Who is this guy? And I'll pass judgment. But when I do it, it's like, well, they don't understand how, how late I am for this meeting. And, you know, <laughs> who, who are you to pass? None of us can judge the internal motivations in someone's heart about, and again, how we're trying to be faithful to Jesus. But Paul goes on in the next verse to say, for we, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Mm-hmm. And so what Paul is not articulating is that there is no judgment right. in Christianity. What Paul is articulating is the location of judgment is God and God alone. Yep. And that we all have to judge our internal motives. That in, in, I think about uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount here, where he, he's not interested in the external laws that the Pharisees are keeping. He's far more interested in the internal location of their heart right. and why they're walking in obedience. Mm-hmm. And, that, and Paul is bringing out this Jesus tradition for us is Jesus is not interested in this external law keeping primarily. He's interested not in what goes into someone's mouth or what's in their stomach, which is what Paul's addressing here. He's interested in, in what is coming out of you. Is this a Holy Spirit driven desire to be allegiant to Jesus? Or are you just trying to keep a law over here? Mm-hmm. And he's saying this now to both Jews and Gentiles stronger brothers and weaker brothers. And he's saying, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. So we shouldn't read verse 10 and say, who who can pass judgment and think, therefore we have a laissez-faire free Christianity where it doesn't matter because we get to verse 11 and realize in sobriety, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. That's exactly right. And and listen, verse eight, I love the certainty of it, right? Like, because it's not just, we belong to one another. Mm-hmm. We belong to the Lord. Right. Because we belong to the Lord, we belong to one another. Mm-hmm. So our connection for like our relationships together are not just 
oh yeah, like we're, we should be kind of a unified whole. It's like, no, no, no. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. It's not just that we don't belong. Like, I guess the fundamental thing that I think Paul's trying to communicate to here is you don't belong to you. Mm-hmm. That's right. You belong to God. Mm-hmm. And because you belong to God, you belong to his people. Mm-hmm. And I think, gosh, if that was countercultural in Rome, <laughs> it is definitely <laughs> countercultural today. I mean, this idea of individualized sovereign autonomy mm-hmm. and we almost talk about it like, oh, you should surrender up your sovereign autonomy to be a part of this. It's like, no, 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 no. The the illusion is your sovereign autonomy. You're mm-hmm, you're not. Mm-hmm. And you never have been. Right. You're only giving up what you think you mm-hmm. had, not what you ever had, mm-hmm. you know? And I think verse eight is a great anchor point to go. He's not just making this appeal for like, wouldn't it be better if you were all unified? He's saying, if you belong to God, you belong to his people. You don't principally belong to you. Well, and this goes back to even verse chapter 13. The, the gospel of this world is self-expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, make yourself known, be known, be uniquely you, express yourself in any way that you feel an internal desire. The Bible's gospel is not a gospel of self-expression. It's a gospel of self-denial, of submitting yourself to proper authorities, whether those are government authorities or God's authority over you or to your brothers and sisters and submitting yourself, submitting your desires and submitting your passions to to God and God alone. Yeah. But I do think that because the culture is giving us such a broad target to take aim at with regard to autonomous self, we sometimes don't spend enough time talking about how it looks within the body of believers. And I think that's what, you know, that's obviously what Paul is addressing here. And um, we want to go. We want to say, yeah, right. Like around issues of sexuality, you know. But that's not like actually the culture. Yeah. is is self expression, but the, not in the church. But not in the church. And and the truth is that the church is 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 every bit as guilty of this, or the people in the church are every bit as guilty of this. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard a Christian say, "Well, I have to do what's best for my family," right. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. well, that's actually not a Christian sentiment. Now, I'm not saying that you don't take into account what is good for your family, but what's best for your family impacts other families. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, or, or what you choose for your family has an impact on other families, uh, whether you acknowledge it or not. And so you can see how this would play into conversations about like what neighborhood you're going to live in or how you're going to educate your children. Or, I mean, there are all kinds of ways that this can can impact the way that we think um, or even like where you're going to give your money. You know, I mean, there are, when we tend to think that it's only um, what my conscience has 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 made peace with instead of how what my conscience makes peace with is indicative of how I relate to others in the Christian community, then we're actually mm-hmm. committing an, uh, another version of the same sin that we see the culture committing when they place their own needs or their own opinions above those of the community. That's right. And Paul, in, in some ways, Paul has already addressed, and, we, and we've mentioned this, but Paul has already addressed some of these realities in Romans 2, mm-hmm. right? In, in Romans 14, he is kind of circling back to those kind of beginning opening comments to this divided church of like, hey, there there is a, a little bit of a power struggle. There's a little bit of division going on here. And so as he ends in Romans 14, he is giving them some parting words mm-hmm. that are almost now in light of the whole argument he made. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I know this is what's going on. I have to remind you who God is and what he has done and who you are. 
really chapters three through gosh, 11 at the very least. And then 12 and 13, we talked about it, it. It shifts focus from this is who God is and what he has done to now how we are to live in light of him. He kind of starts high, high level conceptual in Romans 12. Then he goes to the government and, uh, and civic authorities in 13. And now he's bringing it back kind of inside the house of God in 14 to kind of just try to help them see a way out of persistent division And I think as he ends this passage in verses 10 and 12, I think it does raise a question that it would be worth us just talking through. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? This is verse 10, chapter 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Mm -hmm. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So one of the reasons Paul, well, one of the reasons he's telling them they should not pass judgment on one another is that they're going to stand in judgment before God. So it's actually looking at God's judgment as a deterrent for our judgment of one another. That's right. But I think I, it's, I think we should ask this question. What is he talking about? Like, what is the judgment seat of God? Because I've heard so many bad takes on this idea. Um, Some of them probably on this podcast from us. Probably so. Um but the reason I mention it is because I think it's um, I think it's important. Oh, gosh, I, I can remember sitting in churches, hearing the pastor say, "One day we'll get up in front of God, and it's like everything we've ever done will be broadcast on this TV mm-hmm. in front of everyone." Mm-hmm. And I can remember my brother asked me one time. He goes, "He goes, it sounds like it's going to take eternity for us to watch everyone's <laughs> sin highlight reel." And it's like. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds pretty miserable. So what is this judgment seat of God and why does Paul invoke it as a deterrent to our judgment on one another? Well, I think other people will say that that's not actually going to, I've heard people say we won't stand in judgment before the Lord. And I'm like, well, you got to deal with this here in the Romans 14s because it sure does sound like we will. I like when we hear every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, we're like, yeah, get them. You know, we're like, get him, God. And then it's like, oh, shoot. You know, you read here and you're like, oh, it's me that's going to get God. So um, I think we do have to ask, what judgment is there for believers? Because that seems to be what's being referenced here. JT, take it away. Hmm. I think that's exactly right. There's a sense in which all of us, I mean, what what Paul is invoking here is a theological truth. And this goes back to the, to the episode we've done with Jackie Hill about God is holy. Mm-hmm. And he yep. is a standard of holiness. And we've we've talked about this, I think I said in the last podcast, ad nauseum. The gospel, and we're even simplifying it when I say it this way, is both justification and sanctification. And we're going to be held to an account of, of the justification that God has given us, imputed righteousness given to us from Jesus Christ, our judgment in one sense happened 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. at the cross of Christ, where all of our sins were judged and were definitively and exhaustively dealt with by the death of Jesus and his resurrection three days later. While at the same time, we now have this opportunity, and I think what Paul's getting at here in chapter 14 is that we have been freed in Christ not to do whatever we want, but to now learn how to walk in obedience. Yeah. And there's a standard that's now been given to us of walking in this holiness of Christ. Yeah. And again, it's not to say that the justification isn't real. It is real, but it's what propels us to walk in sanctification. I love the way that you said it, Kyle, is that the judgment of God does not free us to, it is not that it frees us to judge others, is that it actually deters us yeah. from judging others, knowing that we're going to have to stand before God's judgment seat one day. But one of the things that I'd love to ask you guys is like, 
let's see if we can put this on the ground for people. If if we were the, if if the American church today was the church in Rome, because we're not dealing with calendar issues, right? <laughs> we're, like, we're not. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of a lot of Christians mm-hmm. in the American church who are like, wait a. I mean, I know that in some kind of pockets mm-hmm. of Christianity, there's kind of Sabbatarians, and yeah, we can talk about that. But like the the broader American culture as it relates to Christianity, if Paul were writing us today. What topics do you think he would have in mind about judgment? Uh. I think that when you start to self-diagnose, the easiest place to start is to ask, what do I evangelize for? And mm. the easiest way to know the answer to that is for, for people living today is to look at our social media accounts. So um, when you get on your soapbox, what are you talking about? And then what have you made law that is actually... Um, secondary or tertiary. And so, you know, things that come to mind are political <laughs> views, for example. Yeah. Um, and I think the one that, so I was thinking about this one, Jen, and, and, and honestly, the way that I feel a little uh, convicted when I think about this is without sharing my political views is this goes in both directions. Yes, absolutely. It's easy to sit here and think, well, like I'm kind of a little bit more moderate and I'm mm-hmm. the, I'm this, I'm the reasonable one in the group mm-hmm. and it's, mm-hmm. I can extend judgment or, you know, mm-hmm. they're extending judgment to me because I don't have their convictions. But like mm-hmm. the fact that this goes in both directions yeah. is what Paul is getting at. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. there is a stronger and weaker here for sure. But both are both are living in a secondary or third tier issue. Well, and then things like, you know, even like, you know, people will say, I'm going on a social media fast for Lent, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, th- you can say that just because you want people to know you're not going to be on social media anymore. And, and that's fair because, you know, that's, I'm not saying that it's wrong to say that, but there are some people who will say that like, and the rest of you yahoos should also, you know? And so I think anytime right. that we are looking, and again, that's actually maybe as a good example of like a weaker brother situation where a person usually feels strongly about taking a social media fast because they've identified in themselves a, pro- a proclivity to use social media in ways that are not healthy, but there might be others who don't have that, you know, who don't, who aren't drawn to social media in the same way. You could say the same thing about alcohol. You could say the same thing about any number of issues that are matters of conscience and that for one person might be a more dangerous scenario or tempting scenario than they are for someone else. And so, um, but, you know, you'll see people, you know, talking about their, their own weakness as though it's something we all share and therefore we should all mm-hmm. practice the same set of rules around guarding that weakness. That's yeah. right. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, yeah. Kyle, I mean, would you add anything? <sighs> I'm just trying to get you guys canceled. That's what I'm trying yeah. to do. No, I mean, oh, I think, I'll do that just fine on my own. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the, the politics thing is, is has clearly become the front runner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it seems like our... Christian brothers and sisters around the world, uh, when they when they point out what they feel like is the largest thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're always like, "Wow, <laughs> that that seems to be like a big dividing point for you all, doesn't it?" <laughs> um, so they probably, you know, having that kind of disinterested observer from the outside is probably helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seem to think it is. Um, I, I mean, there's always preferential stuff that mm-hmm. just like ends up being out there. Church ministry models, you yeah, know, that's like, good. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, the last couple of months I've heard so many people just disparage big churches or disparage small churches. And it's like, why? Yeah. You know, like 
what's the end, what, what's our end game here? You know, um, so yeah, I think that it seems like politics and preferences on ministry and size of ministry and magnitude of it and execution of it and strategy of it. Those are always going to be things. Well, I say always, I hope not. Um, that sounds resigned. Um, those are certainly things that seem at present to be um, top of mind as far as an opportunity for us to cast dispersions on one another. And they miss the larger picture that ultimately the judgment seat of God, I mean, for both, the judgment seat of God is not a sorting, a sorting of um, good fish and bad who, fish. Who, for Christians. Exactly. It's a sorting of sheep from goats, wheat from tares, um, but it's not a sorting from you were A team and I was B team. Right. And the judgment seat of God is also on the political front, a reminder that at the end, there's only one person on the throne, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, you know, it's not like there, there's no, there's not going to be any nominate somebody buttons and pins mm-hmm. at the judgment seat of God. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's not an open vote. Not a, heaven is not a democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think for our present moment, we can probably be free from casting judgment on each other because ultimately none of us are running for office and neither is God, you know, so. So then how would we deal gently? How would we, so like, I think a good way to identify a weaker brother is to say, this is someone who is using a lot of superlatives around something that is is a matter of conscience. So they say any, mm-hmm. every, all, always, yep. never, when they're talking about this thing that's not a first order issue. But how do I live at peace with that person? Like practically speaking, how, how, what are tools that I can employ so that I can um, behave as the, as the one who is stronger in the faith? Well, I think that it, assuming they're not a fool, mm-hmm. um, because if they are a fool, then scripture's clear. You just don't answer them. Right. Um, or you answer them according to their folly. Mm-hmm. So those are your two options. But I think we're probably just dealing with a less mature believer or a believer who's less mature in a particular area. Because I do think it's important for us to remember, you can have someone who's deeply spiritually mature, generally speaking, who still has an area in which they would function as a weaker brother, right? I I, I, would, I would say that I see this in my own life and I'm not saying I'm like super spiritually mature. No. I'm saying I can see where there are places where I do operate out of more wisdom than others. I mean, it's a, it's a blind spot. We all have still have blind spots. For sure, absolutely. And I think that that's a good question. I just wanted to make the distinction because just like in Paul's day, in our day, there are people who are not good faith interlocutors right. on this right. at all. Right. And I think that to waste your time answering those people is is wasted time, truly, that you could spend with other Christians being strengthened by them in the ways that you're the younger brother and strengthening them in the ways that they are. Mm-hmm. But I think if somebody is in a given conversation, if they feel like, man, they're really prone to extremity on something they should not be, I think a great way to temper that is just to ask them, um, why does wh- why are you so hot about this? Mm-hmm. Why are you so concerned? And then when they tell you to say, but like, why? Mm-hmm. Why that? Mm-hmm. And I think at the root of it, you end up getting to some sense of control, anger, fear, mm-hmm. angst, hope, desire, unfulfilled. And I think now we can start having a conversation about that as opposed to the thing that you're very concerned about. We already know there's a power struggle between the Jews and Gentiles in this church. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, Paul knows like, this isn't really about the day. Mm-hmm. It's not really about what you eat here. It's really about who has power in this church. Mm-hmm. And why don't we talk about the real thing, mm-hmm. not just like these I things. don't know, Kyle. I don't want to say I disagree. I just want to, I want to tease this out a little bit because I think I, – actually, I don't want to say I disagree. I think you're right in some instances, but I'm not sure that's what's happening here. Like, because Paul does not tell, and again, help me, brother. Like, help, help these people. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not telling the Jewish Christians, 
uh, who are trying to follow Jesus through keeping calendar and food laws to stop. No. He's saying it's actually kind of complex. Like, I'm not sure that he would go to like some internal psychologized, you know, fear, trauma, you know, power thing. He would say, that's how you read the Bible. Yeah. Like, I think he would actually say this is, and again, this, so let me just give my, my position and then help me. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he would say they're keeping Levitical food laws. This is how they've been taught. This is their tradition. This is the mm-hmm. way they're following Jesus. And the way they're demonstrating their faith is, is in this way, the way that the Gentiles are demonstrating their faith is this way. So, so part of it could absolutely be what you just said is that there's sometimes mm-hmm. something internally that's been psychologized or, or deeply embedded into somebody's being that this is why sure. they care about this issue or don't care about this issue. That's true. I think, and maybe, maybe what I'm trying to say is it also could just be another reason is that sometimes there's a complexity of subjectivistic viewpoints on how to follow Jesus. And the Jews are doing it this way. The Gentiles are doing it this way. They're both trying to act that Jesus is Lord, or they're both going to say, so there's some things that we don't want to subjectivize. Jesus is Lord. We owe him as our allegiance. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And we also don't want to make subjective the judgment seat of God. Mm-hmm. This is going to happen. It's going to happen for all people. But then there's right. also lots of other things. And this is kind of another mm-hmm. way to talk about theological triage, where mm-hmm. Paul is saying, keep the main thing the main thing, put the right emphasis on the right syllable, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Not just not just the stronger brother saying, well, you know, you have, you have this anger in your life. Therefore, that's why you care about food loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah um, I think it's both. Yeah, maybe yeah, so. Yes. That's probably a better way to say it. Yeah, because he doesn't like on the food laws, like he doesn't give them, he isn't like, hey, Gentiles, like let me give you a coherent argument for the food laws. Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't. Mm-mm. You know, because and I don't the same- think he believes it. Mm-hmm. Right. He's also but what not I'm, interested in dispelling it right now. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure. Because I, I think the principal thing is, again, not who they are in and of themselves, but who they are in relationship to the God who sits in judgment upon mm-hmm. them. Right. And like the, the idea here isn't just like, oh, you know, the Gentiles view this. He's not settling the dispute, nor is he saying uh, the dispute's inconsequential. He's just saying it exists and ultimately one day it will be absolved. And maybe you'll get more of a dose of that if you begin to live with it being less of an urgent part of your witness for the totally other person. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But I do think that the ending in this particular part of the passage with the judgment seat of God is a good reminder to us. Like we, we talk about all the time, JT, we're story form creatures. Paul's mm-hmm. reminding them here. The story doesn't end with you sitting on judgment on one another. Yeah. It's, it, right. it ends with God sitting in judgment on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right. So... Be mindful because if that's what the conclusion is, it probably should shape how you're living out these days now. Well, and I think that, you know, for those of us who have the full counsel of God's word now, which this this Roman church did not have, we don't have to wait for the judgment seat of God to to mm-hmm. to wonder, you know, what what is right living. And I'm not saying that the that the Roman church lacked sufficient revelation to to have to wait until the judgment seat, but you know, I think it's been said that we we come to sit in judgment on the teaching of the word instead of to let the teaching sit in judgment on us. And I would say that every mm-hmm. time we come to the scriptures, we are invited into, hey, don't wait until the judgment seat of God to evaluate mm-hmm. yourself in light of the holiness of God. And so, um, you know, even the reading of this letter to the Roman church is an opportunity for them while it is still called today you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to come before the judgment seat and to, to repent of where they may have elevated their own preferences or convictions to first level issues. 
And I do think, you know, we've talked about theological triage and, um, and the impulse toward the fundamentalist impulse, which I think is probably the one that's most prevalent in our circles, which is to make everything a first order issue. Yeah. And I think that's something that he's pressing them on. Interestingly to me in the early days of this church, because he commends them for their faithfulness at the opening of the letter. And then we'll see at the end of the letter, he commends them for their obedience. And so yeah. um, here he is saying, you know, in the middle of the letter, he's, he's saying, but hey, if your faithfulness and obedience are going to be something that continues to be a beautiful witness in Rome, it will require that you live with one another um, grace, graciously around issues of secondary or tertiary importance. And so mm-hmm. it's almost like, hey, when the honeymoon's over for you guys, um, you're going to have to fight through these things indefinitely. And so yeah. figure out how to be um, good at fighting these battles and that a lot of times you're not fighting with another person. You're instead doing battle with your own intentions to, to self-elevate um, when there's a difference of opinion on something. I think, and I think that takes us back even to the first verse, just briefly, like to get kind of through the passage or this main argument and go back to, to 14.1. So as for this one who's weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over mm-hmm. opinions. Mm-hmm. Like, cause sometimes I think we can have the instinct like, okay, so it's a secondary issue. Great. I can have this person in my life so that we can eventually figure this out mm-hmm. yep. so that we can eventually, you know, work towards him seeing my better point of view or mm-hmm. her, you know, finally understanding that I'm right and that they are wrong. Right. <laughs> and, the imper- and, 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 and the imperative here for Paul is not eventually figure out these dietary food laws or figure out the calendar so that the Roman church can have our calendar. The way higher priority for Paul is not figure out the second tier issue. It's welcome one. Yeah. It's it's live with one another as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't, don't you don't have to maybe, maybe never get to this third or fourth tier issue. Yeah. Guys, it's gonna be fine. The way better testimony that you can have as the church in Rome is to welcome one another. See that you can see, let the world see that you can live at peace with one another despite your secondary disagreements, mm-hmm. because that will actually be your greater testimony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and exactly so then right. I think the question becomes. Was, it's what it was for the Roman church and also for us is how do you plan to live at peace with this person if you never agree on the thing that you currently disagree on? Like, how That's will it. you do that for yep. the long term? And I know you guys are long term members of church. You know, we're not church hoppers, none of us. And uh, I've been at the same church for the last 14 years. And I was at a church before that for 13 years. And so, um, you know, you stay at a church for the long term and you get plenty of opportunities to, to live this out. How am I going to lay aside my own personal preference or conviction? And you can see how in in some churches it goes better than in others. And so we can always continue to offer prayers for ourselves, that we would walk in humility, that we would set aside self-righteousness for the sake of a collective righteousness that will be a witness to the world. That's good. Well, listen, if you are looking to find Knowing Faith on the internet, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, Knowing Faith Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcasts, all those places. (laughs) Um, Hey, listen, uh, we have uh, an upcoming fall cohort coming up. You may not know this, but Jen and JT and myself, we run a cohort for church leaders, for people that are leading in churches that are focused on um, how to create meaningful, deep discipleship pathways in the life of your church. If you are a church leader and you are interested in finding out more about that, you can go to trainingthechurch.com and find out more information about our upcoming fall 2022 cohort. The application is open now. If you want some cool behind the scenes stuff for Knowing Faith, you can check us out over at patreon.com slash knowingfaith for some bonus episodes, newsletters, 
other cool things over there. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace.